0: Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb.
0: And I'm Julie Douglas.
1: Julie, what is your relationship with the elephant?
0: Mm, I kind of think of them as this kind ambassador to the animal world. Yeah. Like, you know, especially for kids. It's kind of like the gateway to wonderful creatures with what we think of as as, uh, quite a few merits.
1: Yeah, I mean, kids seem to be really obsessed with, with elephants. I mean, my son especially is crazy for them. Yeah, he'll see, he'll see a picture of an elephant and he'll go elephant, because he'll raise his arm like it's a trunk and go, Arr! like this trumpeting noise, <laughs> and. And, and we'll say it multiple times. Sometimes he'll say it when there are no elephants around, just in celebration of he's them. Just
0: thinking about elephants. Yeah,
1: or, yeah, thinking he's an elephant, or, and then if he actually gets to see one in real life, it's, it's all the crazier. Um, you know, we're just looking at pictures of him. It goes nuts. And indeed, they're, they're unlike any any animal. I mean, they are. They, you have this this large the, the, the largest living land creature, mm-hmm. uh, and and so they're they're imposing in that respect. But they're also they have this peaceful air to them as well most of the time. Uh, they have this this trunk that is uh, that, that again is unlike like just about anything else you see in the uh, in the animal world.
0: Yeah, and I think it's because that trunk is so expressive.
1: Yes, it, it does. It has a lot of emotion to it. It's reaching around. It's grabbing things. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's it's they're manipulating water with it, and uh, and their their eyes are very peaceful as well. So there's th- th- we can't help but. Empathize with the elephant uh, on, on on a very basic level. That there's something just kind of sweet and comforting about them, and 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 children especially seem in tune to this.
0: Yeah, and in terms of folklore, they have long been associated with courage and wisdom. In mm-hmm. fact, if you creativity um, creativity if you look at Hinduism, you'll see the origin of the elephant as a symbol of good luck.
1: Oh yeah, Ganesha.
0: Ganesha, um you know the the luck god, the remover of obstacles.
1: Yep, I have a Ganesha right here. Bam. I always carry one in my pocket.
0: You s- Oh, my gosh, guys. If you could see this, he just produced Ganesha. Yeah. Just threw it on the table. Yeah. Proof. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, these are really important to us, um, just as an idea of what an animal is and as, as kind of a mirror to ourselves. I mean, we can't help but empathize with them.
1: Yeah. And humans, uh, there are many cases of humans forging strong emotional bonds with elephants. Uh, and, uh, and there are a, a number of wonderful conservation efforts out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll mention some of those at the end of the show, um, if, uh, particular efforts that you might be interested in reading more about and potentially uh, supporting. In uh, some shape or another, but in mentioning the conservation and in men- and in mentioning the emotional bonds between human uh, and elephant, that that kind of leads to the large number of negatives here. Because yeah. of course, when humans are interacting on a daily basis with with an elephant, it means that that elephant is uh, is in captivity and perhaps used for labor, perhaps. Uh, put in an enclosure in a zoo. Uh, mm-hmm. Generally, that's going to be way too small for it. When we're talking about conservation efforts, uh, those conservation efforts are in place due to the uh, you know, what we have done to the to the elephant's natural habitat mm-hmm. and what we have done to decrease their numbers in the wild.
0: Yeah, so a couple things. So As you already mentioned, there's the captivity angle. And mm-hmm. so we, we typically see an elephant at the zoo, right? And Fred Berkovich of the San Diego Zoo writes that in Africa, elephants can cover over 50 miles or 80 kilometers in a day if food is scarce, but rarely walk that far. More often, they cover uh, a few miles during the day, and they sometimes spend most of their time near a water source. Now, contrast that with 2,200 square feet. That is the amount of space that is recommended by the American Zoological Association. Uh, Joyce Poole, she is the research director of the Ambocelli Elephant Research Project, writes, Just a thought, by AZA logic, That's the the Zoological Association. We might suggest that human beings, being about 2% the body weight uh, of an elephant, would do just fine living in 44 square feet if we were provided food, water, and a breeding partner.
1: Mm.
0: So we begin to look at that, and then you begin to look at the whole poaching situation and consider that we have lost 60% of forest elephants in the Congo Basin due to poaching during the first decade of this century. And she says at that rate, they could go extinct in 10 years. And then we, of course, have seen the recent violence in the Central African Republic. Um, and that is there's a ton of poaching going on there just to fund military operations.
1: Yeah, and then, uh, you have plenty of examples, too, of elephants coming into conflict with, uh, with farmers. Mm-hmm. Because here you have, and, it, and it's a tough situation, because you have, you have farmers that are trying to, to, to uh, farm this small area of land, grow crops, uh, to, to feed their family, make money, and then the elephants come through. The elephants, uh, you know, each adult elephant is going to need somewhere between 300 and 400 pounds of food per day and they're going to make short work of a small human farm uh and they they tend to be pretty destructive in their in their their style of eating if you've ever seen uh, a footage of elephants you know just Pushing over trees to get to the uh, to the greens, uh, you know that's that's their style, and so they can they can really tear a farm apart in a, in very short order. So you end up with uh, with humans and, uh, and and elephants coming into conflict in that situation.
0: Yeah, and that's habit loss, right? I mean, yeah. you would probably do the same thing if you lost a, a good deal of your land. You would move on to another area, and then of course that's where the conflict with humans comes into play.
1: Yeah, they'll. I mean, because they they tend to eat grasses, leaves, bamboo, bark, roots. But if there's a crop of bananas, if there's a crop of sugar cane or what have you, you know, they're going to go for that. Um, Now, to to put the to throw out a a few more numbers here, to just put this in uh, in perspective about uh, about where elephant populations are, Mm -hmm. according to Defenders of Wildlife, at the turn of the twentieth century, there were a few million African elephants and about a hundred thousand Asian elephants. Today there are an estimated four hundred fifty thousand to seven hundred thousand African elephants, and between thirty five thousand and forty thousand wild Asian elephants. Uh, with the with the Asian elephant being uh, you know far more on the endangered end of the spectrum.
0: Yeah, and we should keep in mind too that the average lifespan of an elephant in the wild is sixty to seventy years. Yeah. Um, so when we start to think about that, and we we begin to see them um, the devastating effects of poaching and habitat loss. In, in captivity in some areas, then you can't help but anthropomorphize them and begin yeah. to think, oh, they live for 70 years. It's on par with what humans are living to. You know, what else is similar to humans? How else um, do they really differ from other mammals?
1: Now, I mentioned African and Asian elephants earlier. Uh, that's an important distinction. There are two major species of, of elephant. There's the African elephant. And uh, we can divide those into two subspecies, the savanna and the forest. And while the, uh, the Asian elephant, uh, on the other hand, we can divide uh, that into four subspecies, Sri Lankan, Indian, Sumatran, and Borneo. Now, how can you tell one from the other? Well, it's pretty simple once it's been pointed out to you. Julie? Uh,
0: well, this is kind of neat. Uh, the African elephants, actually, their ears are shaped like the continent of Africa. Yeah. And then, of course, with the Asian elephants, their ears are smaller.
1: Yeah, the, the African elephant's ears look like they're made for sailing on the high seas. <laughs> and the Asian elephant's ears are, are more sort of floppy and subdued and smaller.
0: Yeah, you know what's really cool about those ears, too, is um, besides being able to pick up on noise and, and sound, they have tons of tiny veins that transect their surfaces and they carry blood to the rest of the body. And they act like a cooling system.
1: Yeah, it's really, really amazing. An elephant's ear is, uh, is essentially there to, to to cool the body. Uh, it's kind of like the the big fins you would see on some of these prehistoric uh, dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. You know, where they, it's all about getting the blood vessels up into a surface uh, that can be used to cool.
0: Yeah, so if you see them flapping their ears over over again on a hot day, that's them just mm-hmm. trying to cool themselves down. And of course, their trunks.
1: Their trunks, yes. Yep. Yeah, when they're when they're born, you. I mean. We're talking about how, how instantly we attach emotionally to elephants. Uh, even more so if you see a baby elephant. A baby yeah. elephant is among the most adorable things you could possibly look at. And, uh, uh, when they're born though, their trunks don't really have any muscle tone, so they just kind of flop around and, they, and they're evidently nursed straight up with their mouths.
0: Yeah, and they're just, again, we talked about it before, they're so adaptable, those those trunks, they're used to smell, to mm-hmm. breathe, to drink, to retrieve food, to trumpet, and as we'll talk a little bit more about in a second, caress. But before we do so, let's talk a little bit about elephant intelligence.
1: Yes, elephants are, of course, extremely intelligent. They have, uh, they have memories that span years, that whole adage, an elephant number, never forgets. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's based in truth. They have, they have long memories and they need those long memories because, uh, you know, we mentioned earlier about how, about how vast their range tends to be. Yeah. So you'll have a herd of elephants that's uh, led by a matriarch and, uh, they're having to, to go across, you know, just vast stretches of land and they're going to have to remember, like, where's the water? Mm-hmm. Where's, where's the good food? Where they, where the good eats? Where should I not go? Like, where's an area that might be, a certain death? Uh, you know, to, uh, uh to, to venture into.
0: Mm-hmm. And as you say, that requires quite a bit of memory. Um, it turns out the elephants can hear one another's trumpeting calls up to five miles or eight kilometers away. And according to biologist Andrea Turkolo, who is part of the Elephant Listening Project, a very, very cool project, uh, the females do most of the talking. There's no syntax in their language, so there's no evidence that they form sentences, but they can recognize each other's voices. In fact, uh, they can identify at least 100 other individual elephants by voice. And this was borne out in a sound playback experiment by Karen McComb, who is an animal psychologist at the University of Sussex in the U.K.
1: Now, one interesting thing about the, those, those trumpeting communications that the elephants use, um, they can communicate over these long distances, uh, also by producing a subsonic rumble that can travel through the ground faster than through the air. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you've ever seen uh, like an old western where uh, uh, like an Native American tracker is putting uh, putting his ear to the ground, you know, because because sound waves are going to move faster through the ground. Uh, it's a similar uh, uh, situation. Uh, so other elephants then receive the messages through the sensitive skin uh, on their feet and on their trunks. And uh, it's believed this is how potential uh, mates and social groups communicate.
0: Yeah, and just so you know how sensitive their skin is, they can detect a fly landing on it. Yeah. So there's a, quite a level of um, sensitivity there. And I wanted to also mention that Elephant Listening Program has been in the works since 1999 and has delivered some really intriguing data on elephant communication that really helps us to better understand the social bonds that elephants have with one another. Now, in terms of numerical skills, uh, elephants actually outperform great apes, chimps, and human children at the task of figuring out the quantity of something that is put in a bucket. And and in fact, their understanding uh, or their number sense is so nuanced that they can easily tell the difference between five and six rocks, for instance. Um, as opposed to something pretty easy like one and two.
1: Now that's interesting because we've talked in the past about uh, algorithmic thinking in young children, and uh, their their way of understanding numbers is that they might not be able to tell the difference between five and six. Yes, they can tell the difference between six and three. Uh, like, like three, um, you know, three Cheerios is definitely less than six. Uh-huh. But five Cheerios versus six Cheerios, uh, I don't know. I'll just take whichever hand is you know comes out to me first.
0: So yeah, I mean, elephants can distinguish to that degree. It's pretty amazing.
1: Now that's one way to look at elephant intelligence, but, but to really uh, get into the, uh, the, the the guts of it, uh, you have to start looking at their society mm-hmm. and their, their, and their communication within that society.:
0: Yeah, um, really, at the core of elephant society, we're talking about matriarchs who are the mm-hmm. oldest elephants and families with complex social relationships.
1: Yeah, you'll have a herd uh, that is it's led by the oldest, often the largest female, uh, and it's just going to be an all female herd with some young ones in there that they're all sort of collectively looking after. Though of course with the with the actual mom uh, for that uh, elephant providing most of the uh, the uh, the care and assistance. Meanwhile, the the male elephants they tend to be just loners out there roaming on their own. Occasionally, they'll take up with another male or so.
0: Yeah, you get some bachelor pods from time yeah. to time. Yeah,
1: but for the most part, it's just uh, you know they're they're doing their own thing and uh, it kind of comes back to what we've talked about before when it comes to the gender divide in in a species, that the female is the species and the male is just necessary for reproduction.
0: Well it's kind of that whole takes a village concept yeah. because the females typically remain with their families their whole lives and they rear their calves alongside their mothers, grandmothers, sisters mm-hmm. and aunts. And they all help to take care of the calves. Um and this is really cool too these elephant families are really fluid in their association patterns meaning that not all members are together all of the time. Yeah. So if a food uh, source is scarce, that means that a couple of them might pair off and then meet up later on.
1: And, you know, it works out for genetic diversity that the males are separate anyway, because uh, you have this you know, a tight, cl- a close-knit group of females that are all related. Uh, you need the genes, you need some extra genes to come in from outside of that community. And thus, these uh, these loners uh, out there um, uh, on the outskirts.
0: Yeah, and it's also interesting that the females do do a lot of the talking. And I think that ties back mm-hmm. to the matriarch and again the raising of the calves. So of course it would make sense that among elephant chatter, you hear more female voices trying to coordinate what they're going to do, when they're going to do it. And uh, particularly the matriarch, if, if there's, uh, if food is scarce and they really have to figure out, uh, directions and where they're going to go, then the matriarch is usually the person who tries to coordinate that effort.
1: Now of course one part of being, um, in a community of humans, is that we are self-aware of our, our place in that community. And uh, and it seems that, the, that it's a similar situation for the elephant. Elephant is one of the very few uh, creatures, aside from humans, that can pass a self-awareness test. Uh, we, we've talked about this in the past, uh, I, I believe, with a few other animals, but the elephants can recognize themselves in a mirror. Uh, the only other uh, animals that can really pull this off, humans, apes, Dolphins, and if you under, uh, based on some arguments, you could say that an octopus can do this, but you have to have a very different type of, uh, of test for them because their brains are so different. Mm-hmm. And, and even among, uh, you know, uh, humans, apes, and elephants, I mean, the, the elephant's brain is different from an ape or a human's brain uh, in, in, in some respects, you know. It's, uh, it's, you can never do a one-to-one when you're comparing the human brain to another species. But when they, when they look at themselves in the mirror, they they quickly realize that that they are looking at themselves. Mm-hmm. They'll look behind the mirror, and then it'll quickly descend into them sort of goofing off. Like, well, what happens if I put my trunk in my mouth while well, I'm looking <laughs> in the mirror? What if I do this? What if I do that? It's a
0: trunk mustache.
1: Yeah, but it's essential to note that they are self-aware. They're not just uh you know this this animal out there sort of encased in the mud of of existence. They they know they exist, and and that should really carry more weight uh, when we think about uh, what elephants are and how we interact with them.
0: All right, we're going to take a quick break. But when we get back, we are going to talk about the self-awareness, this sort of society, um, these rich bonds that elephants have, and how they actually exhibit a very human phenomenon called emotional contagion. All right, we're back. Emotional contagion we we see different examples of this uh, with humans over and over again you can be you know at a party and there's this emotional contagion going on depending on you know how someone is is acting and how people are looking to others um to respond to that should they join in mm-hmm. on whatever behavior is being exhibited
1: Oh yeah, I think we've all definitely been a part of those sort of so- social conversations where the, the conversation is, uh, is in this kind of a medium zone and then somebody kind of takes the wheel and it's increasingly going into uncomfortable territory and you feel that need to, to step in and change the subject, move you know, pull the, pull the vehicle back on the road.
0: Yeah. And so what you see here is that this, this very kind of human thing is happening among elephants, this emotional contagion. Researcher Josh Plotnick of the University of Cambridge in the U.K. studied the behavior of 26 elephants in captivity over the course of a year. And he found that when an elephant would show distress, the other elephants would adopt that same emotional state.
1: An example of this distress would be, uh, in this case, like Thinking they saw a snake in the grass, you know, something that's exactly. a, a definite uh, a potential, you know, danger to the uh, the, the elephant community, and they're going to react. And then that emotional state quickly spreads to the other elephants. You're concerned. Why? Well, I'm concerned too. What are you concerned about?
0: And they would act just as a human would. They they um, swiftly go to each other, right? And they touch each other's faces. And I don't think humans do this. Genitals. And they put trunks in each other's mouth, and they chirp. They're, they're trying to make some very soothing. Chirping noises to say it's all right.
1: Yeah, and this is really important because you know there are a number of uh, of cases of observed uh, empathy in elephants. Uh, there was a 2003 study from, uh, Catherine Payne's uh, elephant listing project we mentioned earlier observed a dying calf, uh, elect numerous responses both from its own family and others in the herd. Uh, there's a 2006 paper, uh, that looked at uh, behavioral reactions of elephants towards a dying and deceased matriarch. Um, but this, uh, this, this empathy study with these, uh, 26 uh, captive elephants, uh, it provides us a little like more sort of, of hard evidence for, uh, empathy for, uh, this emotional, uh, contagion. And, uh, and, and you need that because again, we talked about how we've talked before about how humans anthropomorphize anything. And there's always, there's already a lot that's it's it's human like in the elephant. So we have to be careful when studying them not to just heap on the rest of our human baggage and start, you know, putting on little hats.
0: Yeah, I know I was thinking about that. I was thinking about our penchant for just trying to turn anything into a smiley face even if it's an inanimate object. But then I thought too in some of these cases it's so very clear that the behavior or it seems mm-hmm. very clear that the behavior is spelling out these sort of community bonded social phenomena that you would see in within humans within the human tribe um but again it's very difficult to quantify that in a scientific way yeah. um and that's why as you say this experiment uh with the 26 elephants is so important because it does give the scientific community some sort of foothold in that arena but it's It's hard to reenact a lot of what people anecdotally see. And one of the things that I'm thinking about is this idea of grieving elephants and not just elephants grieving for one another, but this case of someone named Lawrence Anthony. Now, he was a conservationist and an author known as the Elephant Whisperer. And in 2012, he had a heart attack. Now he had taken a group of wild elephants and he had rescued them and rehabilitated them on the day that he died. They traveled something like 12 hours to reach his house and they had not been to his home in 18 months. And so of course, people who saw this began to construe this as the elephants keeping vigil. They actually hung out for two days at his home and Again, the problem here is how do you take a scientific lens to this you can't You can't reenact this experiment
1: right and I mean if you were going to you know to play the critic here, you could say, well, the elephants move around a lot anyway, and if they have long memories as we as we mentioned earlier, so it's in you know of course, they would come back to a place they'd been to before where they had you know presumably received uh you know some comfort maybe maybe even food uh, what have you.
0: That's true, and another interesting account involving memory in place has to do with South Africa in the late 20th century at uh, Kruger National Park.
1: Ah uh, yes, this is where they were culling the elephant population, so they were Having some attempt to conserve the elephants, but they were afraid that if the the elephant uh, population grew uh, uh, too large, then it would be increasingly difficult to look after them. Mm-hmm. So they went in there and they started culling, uh, you know, whole groups of elephants. And they found that after this had happened, after the blood had hit the ground, uh, that the the elephant families in the park uh, knew not to go back there. Like they 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 equated that area with death and with danger. Even if that area was a, was, ended up having some very tempting vegetation they knew that, all okay, right, the food looks good there, but that is a place of death. That is where the humans kill us.
0: Yeah, now, immediately after the the culling operation, um, and this was actually after the rangers cleaned up the area and they mm-hmm. removed all the bodies, the elephant families did come to the scene and they inspected it. They smelled the earth. And then they say they never returned to that, mm-hmm. as you say. And so some of the ideas here are, well, perhaps the screams of terror were the tip-off here, and, of course, the smell would have been another tip off, but yeah, again, even when it was a habitable area, they never went back to it. It was as, as if that earth had been stained, and they knew it.
1: Yeah, the earth has been stained. That's that's the uh, that's the, the what really has been driven home for me as we've researched this this podcast. Because in the elephant, you have a creature that is self aware, that is uh, capable of empathy, and has a very strong Argument for personhood, like he I mean, are talking about, uh, uh, giving a, a level of, uh, of, of of rights that we ascribe to, uh, to to a human. If we were to ascribe that outside of the, the human community, like the, the elephant would uh, would be a, a, a certifiable candidate for that. Uh, and yet we have treated them so harshly uh throughout human history and continue to treat them harshly today even though again we have some wonderful conservation programs yeah. there's some wonderful efforts out there and there are some people who devote their lives to to caring for elephants and uh, and to to changing the you know the course of their fate but uh it's it's rough when you when you really look at uh at, at what they are and how we've treated them
0: well and the problem, I think, is that in order for, for elephants to continue to exist on Earth, humans really have to change their behavior. And it's not just humans stopping poaching. It, it's all tied to politics yeah. and to socioeconomics as well. And again, to our, our really bad habit of taking land and converting it for, for uses that really, in the long run, aren't going to do us any good and aren't going to do wildlife any good.
1: Yeah. Now, there uh, on the the farmland front, there have been some efforts to use uh, sort of like like, uh, like spice compounds mm-hmm. uh, to treat uh, the area around farms to keep the uh, to keep the elephants uh, from coming in and eating the the crops. And apparently, those those efforts have have proven uh, pretty successful where they've been applied.
0: Yeah, and I mean, there as you say, there are conservation groups that are doing a great job, and we should definitely mention them because I think that this is. Uh, going to make the difference in the long run about what we can do about the situation.
1: Yeah, and there uh, I did mean to stress there are more elephant organizations out there than we really have have time to mention here. But I just want to highlight uh, a few that stood out to me. Uh, the first I'm going to mention because it's uh, it, it exists in my home state of Tennessee, the Elephant Sanctuary in Holdenwald, Tennessee. It's a sanctuary for captive elephants, uh, you know, elephants that have been in zoos, elephants that have been in circuses, et cetera. They have uh, uh, 2,700 acres, and they provide three separate and. Protected natural habitat environments for Asian and African elephants. If you want to learn more about this, you go to uh, www.elephants.com. They have a wonderful website. You can you can see profiles on the individual elephants. You can adopt an elephant. You can uh, you know you can uh, contribute to, uh, monetarily to help feed the various elephants. It's a it's a wonderful project. Uh, also check out the African Wildlife Fund at uh, awf.org. Check out uh, Save the Elephants at savetheelephants.org and. Uh, f- just one Asian elephant specific um, organization there is elephantfamily.org
0: I wanted to share two quick personal stories okay I worked at a zoo once I think we all know that yes and on April Fool's Day without fail we would get a million phone calls and do you know what people would say
1: that the, the elephants are loose
0: no it would say may I speak with Ellie and you would say Ellie who and they would say fond ah uh. Over and over again. (laughs) The second thing is that when, while I worked there, I had a reoccurring nightmare of elephants just stampeding the entire zoo. And I think that the guy, the lead singer for Aerosmith.
1: Oh, uh, Steven Tyler? Steven
0: Tyler even showed up like, like leading it, like riding one of the elephants. And that's when I kind of knew that I might be having some sort of moral crisis when it came to uh, captivity and animals.
1: You know, just to, not to, to just really pound in our crimes against elephants uh, too much, but that of course uh, brings up another example of something horrible we've done with elephants over the years, is use them in warfare. Like, can, like, how awful is that? Like, here is warfare, this, this, this particularly human uh, creation. Where we have one group trying to, to not only compete for resources, but to out, outright destroy other communities. And we've enlisted, uh, other animal species in this. And not only horses, but the, the self-aware, empathic elephant.
0: Yeah, it, it is really tragic. And, um, and I should mention because really I still am on the fence about zoos and we could probably do an entire episode about that but uh you know that the, the zoo keepers there are absolutely passionate about those animals and they do take a lot of the money and they put them into um, <clears throat> species survival programs for various animals including ele- elephants um, and some people would say that you might not even know what an elephant was unless we had zoos or many other animals so um, you know again on the fence about that
1: yeah, it's 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 a weird area to find yourself in cuz like with my own son again he's crazy about elephants so how can we not take him to the zoo to see the elephants but at the same time we we it just feels so sad to see them in yeah. such a small enclosure. But it kind of underlines the whole situation with elephants. We find us ourselves in this place where we've we've already taken so much of their habitat, we've reduced their numbers, we've we've enslaved them for our own purposes and we have to we're slowly waking up and realizing well what can we do to make the best of this already crappy situation yeah
0: and really i think they come to symbolize the inherent problem that humans have with animals that complex relationship that we've talked about mm-hmm. uh particularly when we've referenced the books some some we eat some we love and some we hate and the ways that we behave toward animals
1: all right so there you have it uh little insight into the world of the elephant, the mind of the elephant, and the empathy of the elephant, and our empathy for the elephant. Uh, if you have uh, some information you would like to share with us, you want to share uh, an elephant story that... Uh that you know particularly resonates with you your own experience with elephants or what you uh you personally think about uh, uh any of the information we've discussed here today you can uh, reach out to us in a number of different ways as always go to stufftoblowyourmind.com that's where you will find our blog posts you'll find our our videos you'll find every podcast episode dating back to the very beginning as well as links out to all of our social media accounts uh, we have facebook we have twitter we have tumblr we have google plus uh, we're Mind Stuff Show on YouTube. Be sure to follow that account if you want to uh, continue to see video projects from us. And, uh, also we're on SoundCloud. I mean, there's a whole list of things you can check it out. StuffTheAwayYourMind.com. And, uh, I think there's another way you can re- get in touch with us as well. And it does, yeah. it does not involve trumpeting and listening to the ground.
0: Although if you want to record some sort of files of trumpeting noises that you would like to make, you can do so and you can include your thoughts about today's episode or any other episodes and send them via email to blowthemind@discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com.